procurement of large frigates and they were the huge amount of money was allocated to procure build and uh, arm two large frigates in turkey well right now we are seeing first of all these weren't finished number one but number two which is even more important if even if they were finished they would become large targets that's it because ukraine doesn't have superiority in black sea that's number one and we already have seen what happened to ukrainian capital ship hetman sahadachny essentially it sank on the very first week or even day of the war so this war is not being waged in a smart way if you're waging it with large surface vessels the way to do, to go and it was suggested in ukraine by smart people and uh, military professionals who analyzed how it could be addressed unfortunately it wasn't followed again during presidency of poroshenko and unfortunately during the first year of zelensky because the career and staff decisions were inadequate let's put it this way that's the general public opinion right now so the way to address this uh advantage that unfortunately russian navy has in the black sea was to create uh like a hybrid response a large large force of smaller fast moving boats and armed boats so essentially what's called a mosquito fleet something that uh, iran tries to implement not to draw any analogies but this is smart tactic or strategy pardon strategy when you are a lesser force but you are trying to inflict maximum damage so this would be preferable but obviously because of personal preferences of some admirals some lobbying some uh, mps who redirected and allocated money to different projects which ended up nowhere specifically i'm referencing these large frigates again uh the end result was well mediocre i wouldn't say mediocre it was a, a failure unfortunately so ukrainian our navy unfortunately with few exceptions became a failure in terms of this war unlike ukraine's air force unlike ukraine's army unlike ukraine's entire defenses so this is you know basically a response that you wanted to to hear well i well okay that, well that's that's part of it but that's more detail than i need what i'm trying to figure out is a way to try to get you know at least weaken the russian navy in the black sea so and i got one response earlier that there was no way to send missiles from ground to uh from the ground in ukraine to take out sevastopol but um uh, here within the last few minutes um that seems to be the case that there you know the the missiles might not be available yet but could be made available that could be shot no, ground no 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 coastal batteries do not equalize uh, missiles which can take out harbor facilities and uh, essentially de- uh, degrade harbor facilities to the extent you're looking harbor facilities will have to be taken out by combined arms rocket artillery long range artillery uh, air cap flights uh, bombers and ultimately 
by infantry forces occupying it. You have to take Crimea, you have to go through Simferopol, and then you have to take Sevastopol. That's the only way to take it. Really? There's no other way to take Sevastopol? To degrade it to, to, degrade it to no, such a degree no, that it's no, no, no. usable? No, it, it's, full of, it's full of military bases, it's full of, art, it's full of Navy bases, it's full of air bases. It, it's a big strategic mission to take Crimea, and you could not just fire missiles and rockets at it and deem it un- unusable because then it's unusable for the Ukrainians when they take it back. Well, uh, yeah, uh, but that's a, that's a question for later on. I'm thinking... Yeah, I know, it's, but it's, it's not a question for later. It's just a question that is not going to happen. We're not... Ukraine's not going to start firing missiles at its own land to get people away from it. It's just... Uh, it's, Why not? I, I understand. I understand it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just. I'm just. I'm trying to think as a strategist here, and and looking for cracks in the dike. So okay. But you're saying that that there cannot be enough um, ground based missiles that could land on Sevastopol to make Sevastopol unusable as a port for Russian ships. You're saying that that's not possible. Conventional weapons, probably not, but not conventional could take the port out. What do you mean by not conventional? Wait, 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 wait one second. Wait, can I just put a seal on this conversation now, right? Because there's no way on earth Ukraine are going to start firing or bombing Crimea, right? It's not going to happen. I'm, I'm putting an end to this conversation now because it's gone on for too long. And... It is not within Ukraine's interest to even bomb their own land because they intend to take Crimea back and they intend to use Crimea and they intend to use Sevastopol as a port and and leave it as, as intact as possible. We cannot just be firing rockets and missiles okay. and pr- and just bombing land because Russians are on it. I'm sorry, this conversation has gone on too long now. We're going to move it on. Okay. JP, on you go. Sorry. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm glad the conversation changed. Yeah, that was a long one. Um, So, I just a little background about myself. And, and Osin, I had sent you a DM about this, uh, I think, the night before. For a lot of you folks that want to understand military tactics, military operations, just kind of how uh, uh, suppression of enemy air defense operation works, how does anti-submarine warfare works, um, how does PGMs work, precision guided, precision guided munitions work. There's a game that I play, and, and a little background, I am a gamer. Um, it's a war, it's, a, it's basically a game, but it's really a, a military simulator. It's called Command Modern Operations. It's made by the folks that made a previous game known as Harpoon. It's a computer war game, but it is a war game at a global scale and basically explains and shows you the complexities that are involved in operations in any conflict. It's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating thing. It's a game. It, you can play it as a game, but it's more of a simulator than anything else. And what's great about it is that it has all the known forces from all the, from every country in the world. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, they, and they update it constantly. The most recent update, they added, you know, Bayraktar TB2s that Ukraine are using right now in the conflict. Um, and uh, I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. And if you guys are interested, it's called Command Modern Operations. It's from a company called Matrix. It's called from a company called Matrix Games. And if you want to get any videos to understand how anti-submarine warfare works, how does mines work, 
um, as well as uh, suppression of enemy air defenses and whatnot. There's a user on YouTube. His name is P Gatcomb. It's P space G A T C O M B. Um, you can look at his videos, and that for you folks in, in the audience, if you guys want to understand how it works, how, like I said, uh, in, including yeah, uh, electronic warfare works. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Send, send me a DM about that. I think you already have, but send me another one because I get quite a few, and I, I end up losing losing people's <laughs> DMs. So send me a message <laughs> about that, and and I'll look into it. I'm interested. That's definitely something yeah, great. yeah. Thanks, ChatGPT. No, nah, man, it's really good. It also has databases on all the current modern weapons. So, you know, if you want to know weapon ranges, um, current weapons, doctrine that's being used by whatever countries, NATO, Warsaw Pact, Russia, um, that's all in there, as well as it's really good for understanding radar ranges, how radars work, um, what are their, you know, what are, you know, it's, it's just a fascinating, fascinating simulator for anyone that is, it just wants to kind of deep dive into, you know, how military operation work when the folks in this space say that these kind of things are complicated it is super complicated and there are a lot of things happening you know that you don't see because it's just things that you know it's not a military but again command modern operation it's kind of an expensive game but if you don't want to buy it that that's fine the videos help yeah cheers. Move it. perfect cheers on you go dominant yeah yeah move it pa- pass it on to Austin, uh whatever you have and i think uh from your background, JP, I think you're needed domestically. Um, I think Alex was next. Thank you. I think. And then, yeah, well, Alex, hardcore, then Drake. Uh, hello. Sorry. I thought you might have meant the other Alex. Um, the one with the hand up. The original, the original Alex, I thought you meant. Um, so, yep. Um, I, I'm sure you've answered this, this question many times in the last few hours, but, um, I was looking at the proposed, um, oil sanctions in the EU and, um, particularly the, uh, the elements involving the, um, the restrictions on flagged ships being able to carry oil and being able to carry oil and natural resources, whatever they choose to include, and also the restriction on on agency and enabling the sale of um, of um, Russian oil in this case, but natural resources, I think, is the inference. Um, are we, I mean, I wouldn't expect them to go through in that form, but are they likely to remain substantially the same? And, and what's... Is what's the bit that they trade off for Hungary? Um, for Hungary participating, I guess is my question. So there, there's a couple of aspects to this, right? Uh, aspect number one is that even though the Lisbon Treaty made lots of the voting in the EU not have to be unanimous anymore, anymore um, some stuff still has to be unanimous. And things like block-wide economic sanctions on a country apparently still have to be unanimous. Uh, so from that perspective, Hungary has the technical capacity to block any block-wide, so block with a K, block with a C, um, sanctions, right? Um, however, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that much if all the other countries just stop buying Russian oil. Rules of origin uh, still exist, right, as you're well aware of. And Hungary wouldn't just be able to go on and sell a bunch of oil suddenly somehow uh, onto other countries. Furthermore, as you, even though Hungary used to be run by an admiral, um, Hungary doesn't have access to the sea, right? Uh, it's very difficult to get vast quantities of Russian oil into Hungary without other countries kind of having a say in it. So if push comes to shove uh, and other countries don't manage to, you know, strong arm Hungary into complying with everybody else's idea of what's morally right and what isn't, um, it's still kind of hard for Hungary to actually get uh, Russian oil necessarily very easily. Um, specifically, Russian oil currently has to pass through uh, the Druzhba pipeline, uh, the, the bulk of it does. And, uh, you know, if, if if things get any more serious between Russia and Poland than they currently are, no more oil is going to be going through that anyway. Lastly, I think, and this is more speculation than anything else, Hungary is using their position, such as it is, to blackmail the rest of the, the, rest of the EU members uh, using this Russian oil potential sanctions things as leverage to get rid of the sanctions that are levied by the European Commission against Hungary for various, basically, domestic policies, um, stuff, and rule of law questions, and other things that don't really matter in this space. Um, but it might be that they're using it as leverage for that, more than anything else, more than necessarily wanting Russian oil specifically, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, so you would expect those sanctions to go eventually to go through largely unchanged. They're going to happen in some form, right? Now that we know that Germany is no longer dependent on Russian ga on on Russian oil uh, because of what they figured out with the poles uh, to supply <sighs> Schwedt and whatever. I keep forgetting the other big refinery's name, uh, the one in Sachsen-Anhalt. Um, where through through Gdansk using oil tankers and then uh, through a couple of pipelines uh, onto Germany, uh, and and then the the balance can be covered from Rostock if I remember correctly. So yes, uh, because Germany is no longer going to be dependent on Russian oil. Actually, Germany already is not dependent on Russian oil if we are to believe Habeck and Linda, uh, the trade and finance ministers respectively. Um, it's you know it's much more of a non-issue for the rest of Europe, right? Poland already isn't reliant on Russian oil. Now Germany isn't reliant on Russian oil. Uh, I think the only big country that still imports substantial quantities might be Italy, if I remember correctly. Maybe not even them. Uh, so yeah, sure, Hungary, good job, whatever. Uh, they're not they're not important enough. They're not big enough. They're not a big enough economy to to make enough of a difference here. Excellent. Thank you very much. Right. Note that, note that the pipelines go through either Ukraine or Poland. You can't go through neither Ukraine nor Poland if you if you have a pipeline, an oil pipeline from Russia, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there are undersea ones, I don't think. Are there any undersea ones? Axel, are there any undersea oil pipelines like the Nord Stream gas one? Is there not one in the... I think there's a... There's a... There's a pipeline in the North Sea. 
Oh, in the North Sea, yeah, but that's not from Russia. Sorry, I missed the from Russia part. I just heard this already. Sorry, I, the... I didn't say the from no. Russia part. I thought that was I, I, I was I thought that was implied. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, of course there are undersea oil pipelines, but that's like Norway to places. Does doesn't matter. It's not a not not relevant for the Russia question. Yeah, I think the only other one in the south is the one the Azeri one, isn't it? So the one through um the Caucasus. That... Yeah, exactly. I mean the side of the Caucasus. Yeah. Again, not Russia, right? So yeah, exactly. So... Yeah. yeah, hope we uh, hope we got that resolved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Alex. Good question. Uh, hope the answer is satisfactory. Hardcores. Yes, sir, Dominic. Thank you. Um, to answer Donnie's question, uh, Daniel River has a depth of three feet to twenty-six feet, and that's at the uh, Black Sea, or one to eight meters for the Europeans out there. Uh, that's one reason you don't see anything, you know, that would take care of ships or, or ports along the Danube. I mean, ships that displace, God, how how much uh, displacement does, do those ships put down? I forget. Does anybody know that's been in the Navy about the, the displacement of ships? Hundreds to thousands of tons. Yeah, so they're sinking down pretty deep in the water. There's, that Danube can't handle it. It's full of silt, too. So you have an average of, what, 10 feet at the most, you know? Yeah, there's significant barge traffic on the Danube, just as it is on the on the Rhine. Um, there, you, you can't get, you know, container, there's only container ships that you get on the high seas, obviously. Nothing like that. Gotcha. Nor carriers or anything of that sort. Just small, small ships. That's all. Yeah, it's barges. It's basic barges. You, you, you have those. The, those are plenty, but the capacity of those is nothing like uh, what you get from the you know giant things on the high seas. That's all. Thank you. Cheers, hardcore. Um, Did you I just say the giant? The giants. Sorry, I just uh, was busy screwing something together here. As I told you, I'm working on a server table here. Anyway, having said this, did you really just say giant things on the high seas? Did Maybe. I hear this correctly? Can we pin this in the nest, please, and see how long it takes for Gunny to come? <laughs> we need Gunny. We've already got one. We've already got one Royal ex Royal Navy in here. I mean that that definitely is something to live tweet, yeah. What was the question about uh, pipeline traffic from Russia? Oh, so Ryan, there oil pipelines, so not not natural gas, but uh, oil pipelines from Russia into Europe. Does, is there anything that doesn't cross Poland or Ukraine? Anything under the sea anywhere? I can check it out. I can find out. Are we just talking about uh, oil or NGLs or no, just 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 oil? O okay. Well, I'm guessing like other petrochemicals as well, but not natural gas. Yeah, yeah, Re refined product, liquid hydrocarbons. Yeah, whatever it is, anything that's not the uh, that's not gas, right? I'll we, check. We but I don't think so. I'll I don't. Me, I don't. Let me look a couple other places. 
Thanks, I don't think there's anything of significant volume. No, exactly. Um, in the meantime, let's uh, let's go to Drake. Drake, go ahead. Uh, hello. Uh, just recently got home from work. I don't know if this topic was brought up earlier or not, but I'm going to ask it because I honestly just want some opinions on it. So in the prior couple of days, uh, Russia has been letting civilians go out of the Astoval plant. And like humanitarian-wise, like they've been letting them flee the plant but then today they resumed the barraging of the plant and uh from what i've read they've actually breached the plant as well and there's a gigantic fight going on in there then i just recently read that they are going to start back the evacuation of civilians from the plant tomorrow until the ninth i believe or the seventh one of those two i was just wondering like what are y'all's thoughts on russia like doing that move Imperious Ocean was somebody tracking Mariupol closely today. Um, yeah, I, I did see that they breached they breached into the the plant, but it didn't say whether they breached on the, into the underground part of the plant or if they just breached into the like the compound of the plant. There was a lot of heavy fire there and bombardment as well. Um, they did lose communication from. For a bit of time, but communication has been re-established. Um, I'm not sure what the what the overall damage was, but there was um, there was different uh, there was there was there was bombing, there was artillery, there was everything. Everything was going on, and, and they're quite they're claiming to have raided it as well. We'll just have to wait and see. that answer the question? Uh, yes, thank you. Sweet. No problem. Uh, anyone got any questions? Fire your hands up or send a request. Well, or have you got anything you'd like to add? In the meantime, Ryan, I'm pretty sure that there indeed are not any oil pipelines under the under the sea. Somebody else has been checking in the background as well. I don't see and why they put one under the sea. Uh, that's putting a pipeline under the sea is extremely uh, cost and labor intensive and kind of high risk. If you can put one over ground, uh, it's just way better, or in the ground rather. Exactly. Right, obviously, Nord Stream, uh, Germany and Russia colluded to get that uh, bypassing bypassing Poland for political reasons, right? Um, but they, they didn't do anything like that for oil. Hi, who there? Hello there. Have you come to, to rescue the situation? I'm unaware of the situation. What has occurred? No, no, nothing's occurred. Nothing's occurred. It's just that every time you come in, you, oh, you always come in to, to something. Oh, no, don't mention the black magic again, please. 
Can I just ask you, uh, let's all of you, does black magic exist, yes or no? Well, that's a complicated question. 100% yes. That's like, no, someone actually still told me, well, you know, I don't want to get into it. I'm like, oh my God, this is a simple one. This is an easy one, you know? Anyway. I mean, Osa should know, right? He's from somewhere close to Hogwarts. It it doesn't exist outside the island of Hispaniola. Yeah. I said if it uh, is, I said to the lady, I said, is, is, is Harry Potter... A children's fantasy or a documentary to you? She wouldn't answer. So, anyway, uh, it's been an eventful. It's been an eventful day today. I was just thinking back. We had, we had the prince from Africa right. on. He was a funny one as well. Yeah. He, <laughs> a man was convinced he could take out Putin. I'm like, all right, do it. So. Oh, the man, the African prince that was convinced that if it was the Africans that were in this situation, they would have assassinated Putin by now. Oh, and then he said, was it not him that said, I like Jews, but... Oh, no, it was actually worse. He said, I just want you to know, I don't hate Jews, but... (laughs) I'm like, well, thank you for not hating me. I appreciate it. You know, could be worse. But yeah, it's definitely if you're if you want to prove you're not a racist, starting with the I don't hate and then fill in an ethnic group, but uh, it's probably not the way to go. Anyway, let's talk about happy things. You missed the whole and- chunk on the Sevastopolian ways to essentially <laughs> strike it in a weird way. Mm. Maybe a game of Quidditch with a tactical nuke on it. Oh, that was suggested. In so many words. Um, Tim LG, Battle Moose, did you request to come up when Yehuda showed up because you wanted to talk some military stuff with him? Please say yes. Tim? So we've got Drake here. Drake, we can talk martyrs. I'm not a martyr man myself, but I appreciate them. What would you like to know? Actually, it's funny. We did get this a lot at the beginning. What mortars do the Ukrainians have, or what are we giving them? And, uh, I'm like, I don't know. The ones that go in the tubes. Um, from my awareness, I do not believe that we have given Ukraine any mortars. I know that we've given them a large amount of artillery pieces, but I'm unaware that we have given them any mortars. In the very beginning. In the very beginning. Okay, well, uh, a bunch isn't of it also, isn't it also that the Brits are giving them mortars now, Osen? Yeah, I think that's in, uh, I think that's included in the artillery and the ammunition package that they're supplying. But they, but they don't really, they're not, they're being very vague on what what's included. They just they just really state either ammunition or it's just very vague. You have to really look into it, and I'm not got the time for that at the moment. I have noticed that uh, Ukraine is using sort of the same sort of mortar systems that the Russians are currently using, which, in my opinion, compared to the uh, U.S. arsenal of mortars, is very outdated with the rounds themselves as well. The rounds appear to be like 30, 40 years old with them tying on cheese charges. And what uh, we call, well, uh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I can hardly English today, but uh, what cheese charges are is uh, nitroglycerin charges that give the round more oomph when it's leaving the tube. So it can travel to farther distances. And from videos I've seen, they're using, I don't know what the material they're like packing it into, 
but they're just like tying it off around the round. And that hasn't been done for a very long time here wise. So I've just noticed that they're using very outdated ammunition compared to what we currently have. It looks like like what like coffee bags, doesn't it? I've seen it what, what they're putting it in. Yeah, that uh, that's kind of what I was looking for. I just didn't know what to really call them per se. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's like a wrapper in charge you're putting on the bottom of it. It's, it's strange. It must, they must be because they're degrading. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's because there's a certain size bag that they tie on for, <clears throat> excuse me, for range. Okay, so. Yeah, charge bags. I was once on a my dismount, well, my dismount between commander course, and we have these crazy, you know, field exercises in the last 10 days, and we actually don't sleep. So if you're the platoon commander, towards the end, you end up, like, tying people's hands, like, to, like, strings together because you get lost and people fall asleep. And I found one of my, uh, it was my gunner, and he was eating a charge bag he found in the training area and told me it was an apple. I thought that was funny. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. yeah, that's definitely a bad idea. Something you don't want to do. <laughs> I don't know if I got through it, but I just like, no. Yeah, I once had an argument with the bush for like a half an hour, apparently. I was like, get down, get down. And the uh, DS directing staff saw me through with the night vision, wondering what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a, a field operation that we had, I'd say it's about six months ago. Uh, we were up for, I think it was about 72 hours at that point in time. And we were sitting in the striker and we had our, uh, radio operator. who was just every 20, 20 minutes was just like, Hey, who's, who's on here? Hey, just losing his mind in the striker from no sleep. Just constantly going onto the radio. Like, Hey, who's talking? Who is it? Huh? Yeah, it's horrible. Sleep deprivation can do things, but we do it in the training area, obviously for obvious reasons, but sometimes uh, on our, on our on various courses, like for example, and again, the dismounted platoon commander course in Canada is probably one of the hardest uh, courses. <clears throat> it's super challenging and uh, at different stages, obviously people are in different conditions. So, you know, when I was up in the uh, breach, I, uh, I was, I was, you know, I'd gone, uh, I was going uh, from one, going up to one of my forward trenches and all of us are equal officers, but for the exercise, whoever's in charge is in charge. And then, You've got, you know, you have your section commanders and you everyone and everyone else is basically mimics a platoon. So the training class is like 30 people and you cycle through the different roles uh, just of an, an infantryman or uh, uh, or you're the platoon commander of 2IC or whatever. And so I, uh, you know, leopard crawled out to just past the trench to have a, look, a stern talk with the bush and say, you're you're buddy fucking me. You're blading me over. Get back to your trench. And uh, I went to like would, kick it with my legs and, uh, and realizing it was a bush. Pardon me? Are you interrupting my worship? Would you have another argument with a bush, or would you rather have another argument about black magic? No more black magic. Oh, God. Anywho. I, I woke up this morning and I may or may not listen, like, fall asleep listening to the Walter Report. And the only thing I heard was Yuda talking about purple lizards. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not awake yet. That's when you go to sleep. Yeah, I know it's coming out in full force. All that disinformation is the loony, the loony left and the loony right are, are meeting up together. And it's, uh, 
lizard people and um we really got to do something oh, there's some groups out there i'm not going to say i don't even remember their names but they're they'll be like we got to do something child sacrifice pedophile mob and their support ukraine and putin you know it doesn't make sense uh i don't see the russians are they, they think the russians are winning they think that literally the, the ukrainian army are like the nazis incarnate um and bio labs and back and obviously it's tied into vaccines and uh obviously vaccines may, oh make you zombies uh I was admonished not to be a zombie like not in the sense like the rhetorical sense but an actual like zombies are real sense so this is our safe spot this is our safe place on the internet now i figure but all jokes aside actually we'll get more insidious you're going to see a lot more anti-semitism a lot more xenophobia uh, a lot more conspiracy theories um <clears throat> people try to make sense of it and sometimes the simple answer which is russia doesn't think ukraine's a country and they invaded it to take it over and subjugate it that the simplest answer you assume is easily understood and that is not true uh one thing for sure we won't be talking about tomorrow is uh black magic oliver stone um illuminati purple lizards so when we have our guests on i expect everyone to be on their best behavior please let's get to uh, some hands that are up uh let's try with ryan first and then helian and then matt and battle moves ryan you, who does that mean i can't ask Alexander Vindman about UFO technology? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I had a serious question about uh, counter-battery radar. Um, have any of the Western countries discussed how much or any numbers? I mean, I know they've they've outlined how many M777s they're sending and stuff like that, but I don't know a whole lot personally about counter-battery radar. Is that something that... Uh, I'm assuming they probably need multiple. There's, there's more to systems than just counter battery radar. There's counter battery acoustics, and uh, I'll just leave it there. Yes, Tinpour. I know they had stuff uh, late in uh, the Iraq War that they mounted on the back of Humvees that could detect uh, distance and direction of gunfire and stuff like that, but. Um, I did. I just wasn't sure how much of that equipment is needed, and if it's not being talked about, if that's for tactical reasons, or I guess if uh, Ukraine thought they needed more of it, they would be begging for it. But uh, I feel like that might be kind of a, a game changer between. Uh, if if any of- if any of the the video or uh, uh, the information coming out of uh, out of the front right now is uh ukraine's doing a damn mighty fine job in counter battery fire um and it's only going to get better as more and more the western systems come online like they just trained uh 200 troops on the triple seven you know another 60 into the breach and they're they're going to keep rotating these uh these troops through and they're going to get better and better with better systems uh, because uh, again, like uh, uh, we're we're talking in the, in the background about uh, there's no rhyme and reason to to how the Russians are operating. Uh, you you'll hear John uh, Spencer talk about shoot and scoot, you know. In in uh, and if you want to stay alive in an artillery battle, that's that's what you do. 
uh, the, the Russians aren't doing that. They're staying static. Um, if they are moving, they're moving slowly, not with a sense of purpose. Um, so just to so, interrupt you there, that's actually part of their doctrine. I did bring it up with a few people. They, they do these mass fires. They have, they're, they're, as as uh, Major Giroux said yesterday, uh, whereas uh, artillery supports our maneuver, maneuver supports their artillery. So they have such a, such a wide um, array of artillery that they just, they're almost stationary and they just creep up with the infantry as they're bombing the crap out of everything, right? So that's kind of their thing. And, hopefully, and as we've seen, they're not moving fast enough for that to be effective. So they're getting picked off a lot easier. Just a point of information for you there, Battle. Yeah, well, we, we always knew that the, the Russians had the mantra of destroy the world by grid square. And that's kind of the impetus behind that as they they do the rolling barrage and the infantry, you know, creep up behind it. Uh, hopefully they keep doing this because it's going to be easy pickings when, uh, especially when the counter, counter battery uh, systems come online, which I suspect they already have. Uh, once they get a little bit better foothold with the with the modern artillery and the uh, and and the ammunition and whatnot, uh, we're we're going to see Russian uh, Russian counter like uh, Russian batteries melt away. Miss, uh, you heard a Drake when any of any worked with on a piece of equipment called the Arthur. I cannot confirm or deny that. I watched a pretty astonishing video this morning of uh, some very targeted either. Oh, never mind. I thought you were trying to say that's gone. Of either some, I don't know if it was artillery or uh, mortar rounds coming in, but uh, the Ukrainians had a drone up and had zeroed in on these guys and they dropped a, a round on them and they took off running down a street and like one or two of them goes running through a field. And they all seemed to huddle up. It looked like at a culvert, maybe in the road, trying to take uh, take cover under the road or in a ditch. But they were just dialing in on them. I mean, these guys ran 100 or 200 yards down the road thinking they'd gotten away. And a round just drops in on top of them. And they turn around and run opposite back up the road. They just came down trying to get away from this. And they just couldn't catch any luck at all. I I heard... I heard a uh, an interview, and not on this this space. It was uh, long before I found this, and it was a uh, a Ukrainian soldier talking about uh, Ukrainians dressing up domestic drones like something out of Terminator, and then they just chase the Russian troops, and they freak out, you know, run run back, run back to uh, to to wherever their the rest of their unit is, and then you just give away your unit's position, so they you know shell the crap out of them. I've seen oh. at least two instances of that myself on Telegram channels. Um, I've seen a bunch of like the drones perspective on uh, like shelling and mortaring on like a Russian position. I mean, in my opinion, it is fairly pretty simple to do because with the drone, you can see its grid location. Like it can give you like the 10 points fucking longitude latitude. And then with that, all you do is put that in to the mortar like for my example we put that into the mortar system as where the location of fire is going to be and then from there say if you're using a plotting board which it seems like a bunch of them are all using because you don't have the uh 
technological advanced aspect that the main U.S. arsenal has. You just put that in, and then you get your deflection and elevation from that. And then all it takes is just lining up the guns, and then boom, everyone can just have a fire for effect, and it just rains down on them. We're we're definitely seeing drones uh, change the face of warfare. You know this this is the 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 first uh, first conflict that we're seeing. Not not so much drones, but drones being used in the capacity that they are and in the numbers that they are. It's it, it's changing before our eyes. I personally uh, agree to that 100%. Drones are definitely going to change. Well, always they're going to change. I was speaking of like the way of war, especially how they're being used now. Everyone's getting like a better eye of like, hey, we can use this for this. And it's pretty, pretty effective. Anyway, good night all. Stay healthy, stay safe. Night, miss. What? You're going early. What is it with these Canadians? Really? You're you're breaking into my drinking time. <laughs> Have a good one. Enjoy it. Hey, can I jump in real quick? So, uh, have you got any questions or any of the new speakers? Raise your hand, send a request. If not, I'm sure any people on the panel will be open to you, open to answering them for you. Can anyone hear me? Does somebody just speak there? I might have to switch to my iPad. Hello? 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 This is um, 6 of 8. Hello. Hello. Great. Um, can anyone hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, you know, I am not as sophisticated in in all of these things as you gentlemen sound as you are. I am simply the mother of a thank goodness uh, Afghan vet, meaning that he was there and he came through. And um, and I guess, you know, as, as much nonsense as Afghanistan was, and of course the exit to it, which I'm not sure we can change, is there anything that any of you can say will be a real game changer for the way this war is going, given the fact that we all thought it was going to be, you know, I mean, really... We didn't think Zelensky was going to be there overnight. And this has gone on for a very, very terrible battle, but very effective in terms of the Ukraine's ability to keep the enemy at bay. So that's my simple question. And I do appreciate um, learning more from all of you. Dominic, you heard that, Walter, when he's about to take this? Sorry, I could not read. Oh, oh, the question is simply, is there something 
that anyone sees as a valid game changer to put an end to this war of aggression on Ukraine. Yes. Okay, please. Thank you. So long distance artillery, high precision artillery, and uh, potentially, potentially uh, something similar to Ukraine's Tochka U missiles and saturation of those, uh, essentially um, giving Ukraine's army capability to operate these systems in mass. Simple as this. And who will be instructing them in the and then the of the proper use of, of this sophisticated? They they have already gained the. Uh, they don't need instruction because they have been already trained on M triple sevens, and Ukrainians have already operated uh, heavy artillery since two thousand fourteen, and uh, essentially the expertise that Ukrainians gained in this war that lasts for eight years is uh, unique, very good. specifically unique, and it was uh, shared with Western allies, specifically American, Canadians, and others who trained Ukrainians, and it also went the other way around. So it was mutually beneficial process. So does Russia have the same capability, would be my follow-up question. Do they have the same triple sevens already online, ready to counterattack? Well, Russia has their own artillery systems. They don't have M777s, these are... These Russians have analogous systems, somewhat worse, of course, as everything Russian or Soviet made. However, uh, the issue here is the saturation and the numbers. Unfortunately, right now, Russians have the upper hand, and this uh, enables the opportunity for Russians to hold the ground that they already seized or captured. This is specifically one of the few reasons why they have the upper hand. The amounts of heavy artillery, number one, and uh, more air assets. Right. So is there a timeline, just a projected timeline, for when this might be operative? The sooner the better. Uh, Ukraine already operates M777s and uh, other artillery systems and rocket artillery that was transported from the west to the east, and uh, they're being utilized on different sections of the front line. And however, again, uh, if there is more, it it should be delivered, uh, because even under this current conditions, Russians have the upper hand Correct. in terms of numbers of artillery. Correct. Well, thank you very much for for giving me some hope. Um, on a personal level, and this is just what I think, um, I think that Ukraine, who has the backing of nearly the whole world, um, is going to be successful. Um, I'm hoping that this is the game changer that we're all looking for, and I'm hoping that everyone continues the support um, of the Ukraine um, mission, which is to hold the line and take back their country.
Um, my fear is that if, if this fails, if, if, if it's in fact Russian and saying Putin is successful, this is the beginning of the end of, your, of Europe. I mean, he's, he's not going to stop there. Well, yes, you're you're absolutely correct and uh, on point because uh, in this current situation, Ukraine is the shield, not even just of Europe, but the rest of the world. Right. And uh, speaking of support, uh, there is a minuscule thing that we all can do. Mm-hmm. And this translates into medical supplies mm. and uh, humanitarian aid that is being delivered to Ukrainians closer to the front line specifically. Uh, I suggest you take a look into the name of the space mm-hmm. or the first attached tweet into the nest. It's about Maria 8. It's an organization, group of people specifically that uh, came together as this Russian offensive started. And uh, because of them, and organizations like them, but them specifically, medical aid is being delivered to the front lines in the east of Ukraine, and also humanitarian aid, and also non-lethal equipment. Things like body armor, or helmets, or scopes. So even a minuscule thing, which is minuscule on the first glance, like individual first aid kit, Often it's a difference between life and death of a soldier or a civilian who is being treated. And uh, this is where we can help. Uh, It doesn't mean that... Specifically, the point is, uh, if it's a combined effort of small contributions of a large amount of people, it translates into something big and it, it translates into saved lives. Of course. And this is where, this is how we can help ourselves mm-hmm. and a good option to do so and uh, essentially to, to, to reach out to these people is via these organizations. And one of them, and a good one, is Maria Aid. And uh, they are listed here in the name of this space. They are linked in the nest. Uh, via them, medical supplies have been delivered to the frontline hospitals and lives are, are being saved. So regarding the contribution, it's a good option and also a good contribution would be spreading the word, mm-hmm. spreading the word about what is happening in Ukraine, right. telling your friends, your community, your acquaintances, your your relatives, because people tend to forget that it's not just war in between two countries, a major war in Europe, but it's also a genocide of Ukrainian people perpetrated by Russian invaders, which is happening literally right now. So please spread the word. It's a good way to contribute. Right. It also helps. And spread the word specifically about the way to help. help. And a good way to help is uh, by Amriya 8, as I mentioned. Yes, thank you so much. If you would be so kind, sir, to send me, you can DM me the names of your organization. The reason I say that is that my employer was Johnson & Johnson, which makes many, 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 many of the first aid items and so on and so forth. So when my son was in Afghanistan, I organized a huge effort through Operation Shoebox and 
and together we sent over 300 APO boxes. If you're not familiar with those, it's an acronym for, uh, for basically kids. And so I'm going to, if I have the name of the organization, I'd appreciate that. I'm going to reach out to the people I worked with to make something happen when my son served and, and, and find out what Johnson & Johnson, the largest healthcare company in the world, and tr truly one of the best, what are they doing? I'm sure they're doing something, but we can always do more, right? Absolutely. And as, as I said, they are listed in the name, in the title of the space. Can you see the title? It's called Russian Invasion of Ukraine. Okay, great. great. Walter Reports, then Ukrainian Flag. Yep. And Help via. So an organization is called Maria H M R or MRI okay. YA. I see it. AID. I do. Yep. That, that's the one, Maria 8. And they deliver medical supplies, they deliver humanitarian aid and also non-lethal aid to those who are in need and became victims of war in one way or another yeah, well, so it's a good a good option to, to to contribute and to reach out to people on the ground let me in a timely way yeah thank you so much i was out walking so i didn't notice that it was in the title and thank you so much this has been informative and a good call to action keeping the noise level up in any initiative is critical. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, at 6 of 8. Um, mm -hmm. Let's go through some hands we have up. Uh, Taylor, Arthur, and then Matt. Taylor, go ahead. Hi, this question is for Axel. I was listening earlier today when you were talking about the German perspective, and I guess I was kind of surprised, um, being the United States, that we're the only ones that have dropped a nuclear weapon. We have that ethereal level of higher responsibility, a higher moral responsibility, because we are guilty of that. So you'll never hear a politician talk about first strike or be bombastic. And I would have thought that, the, or do any of the people in Germany have this idea that because of their history of a higher responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah, but of course, uh, but at no point in time did I say anything to the contrary. The higher responsibility Germans have assumed, if you were to uh, look at how German politicians have since the war ended, uh, treated uh, both uh, themselves as well as the population, how comprehensive the effort of introspection and guidance and the institutional limits which have been set both by the constitution as well as the rule of law uh, as exerted in Germany has been. You wouldn't see in Germany Nazi symbols, to, just to make this very clear. It's actually a felony to carry them or portray them or convey them or sell them for that matter. <clears throat> so just, I mean, as a side issue, course but still in terms of communication in that regard germany has been very clear about it i think uh, if you were to ask yehuda um he will probably um say say the very same thing in that regard which is why most and if not all government politicians and uh, german chancellors at some point in time since the mid-60s have actually made their way to israel and uh, with uh, the uh, re required 
humility and contrition in that regard. That is, but that is not the for taking responsibility. Taking responsibility within NATO, Germany has done throughout the Cold War uh, since its rearmament. It has done so carefully and with uh, conviction as well as uh, the applicable humility, but definitely in a, let's say, on a larger scale in the 1970s and 80s. And if you were to ask any one of the older gentlemen amongst us here on this space, many U.S. Army and U.S. Air Force uh, chaps here have in some shape or form and capacity served actually in Germany. They do know what the Fulda gap is. They know why Schweinfurt matters and they did know Rammstein before it was yet again put onto the American media scene by means of uh, last week's meeting. And uh, apart from everybody else who in the past uh, uh, wars in Afghanistan and Iraq had to be evacuated and passed through uh, Rammstein for the purpose of having one of the best clinics in the world because it's well operated there. Having said this, German politicians need to grow up and uh, rise to the occasion of having now uh, the position that they are in charge uh, on the political end of the single largest uh, economy in, in Europe for that matter. They have to pull their, um, they have to pull like everybody else, but in proportion to their capacity and they don't do it at the moment. And they fail to uh, rise to the occasion of taking the responsibility for proper deterrence, because deterrence is not aggression. That's the key thing about it. Germans, uh, I don't think, have in their mindset, culturally at this point in time, any capacity for some sort of a, say, ethno-fascist movement of aggression. That's just not in the cards. And there's a good reason for it. Uh, and that is the long-standing history of how we have dealt with the outcome of the Second World War and the atrocious uh, regime prior to that. Now, that being cast aside, because I think you and I, probably if we go through it in detail, would agree about it easily. And if you have ever visited Germany, you will have felt it. What is most important is that at this point in time, Germany now has an opportunity to not waste its credibility and not, uh, say, degrade its uh, perception in the world and therefore also its business brand made in Germany, which it has built uh, across more than a century and a half now. And um, that is at risk. And Germany's credibility is at risk. And that is what I've said, and I stand by it. I certainly understand that. I've been to Germany. My husband was in special forces and don't know what happened, but he was in the hospital there. But it felt like home. I love that country probably because I'm from German descent. Thank you, Axel. You're very welcome. And uh, uh, in regard to your late husband, uh, we commend him for his service. Thank you, Taylor. Um, Arthur, please go ahead. Okay, can you guys hear me? Loud and clear. All right, okay. I have a couple of things. One was uh, coming back to uh, the, the Russian church and uh, their position on the war. I read uh, just recently, I was meeting uh, on the Zoom of Pope with uh, Kirill, who's a, a leader of the church, and the Kirill apparently read for half an hour, you know, pre, uh, prepare a statement that uh, Pope just shake his head and 
towards the end of the meeting, uh, what Pope said that uh, uh, there was an, apparently an observatory Romano uh, quoted that uh, he called him a Putin's altar boy. So, you know, very interesting. I don't know if anyone else read that. Uh, the other thing is uh, that uh, Russian churches infiltrated by KGB. I had a friend, or I live in Alberta, where it's 